0: You cannot elevate people like Kim Davis and Ted Cruz and Huckabee and Ann Coulter and Donald Trump and then as a country turn around and pretend that it's Islam that caused this.
1: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contributes tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Democracy Now!, The Young Turks, On the Media, Humorless Queers, Citizen Radio, and Gay USA. We begin today's
2: show on Capitol Hill, where Democratic lawmakers are continuing an historic sit-in on the floor of the House, the first ever, to demand the Republican leadership take action on gun control after the Orlando massacre left 49 people dead. Democrats are pushing for votes to expand background checks for gun purchases and to curb the sale of weapons to people on government watch lists, a proposal strongly opposed by the American Civil Liberties Union, the Center for Constitutional Rights, and other groups. This is a scene right now as we broadcast on the floor of the House, which is being live-streamed from the phones of lawmakers since the Republican leadership have shut off the official camera feed that feed c-span c-span is broadcasting the video streams from the phones of Congress members on the floor. This is Florida Congress United. member Ted Deutsch speaking live Stunt
1: shame
3: my friends, my colleagues that I've shared this experience with I join you in standing not to help fill those holes we can't do it. But to provide just a little bit of comfort, a little bit of comfort to those families and those communities that ache. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're going to prevail. And that's why I'm so proud to have been part of this with all of you.
2: Thank you very much. A live stream as we broadcast of this historic sit-in that began yesterday morning at just about 11:30. The sit-in initiated by Georgia Congressmember John Lewis, a veteran of the civil rights movement.
4: For months, even for years through several sessions of Congress, I wondered what would bring this body to take action what will finally make Congress do what is right, what is just, what the people of this country have been demanding, and what is long overdue. We have lost hundreds and thousands of innocent people to gun violence, tiny, little children, babies, students, And teachers, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, daughters and sons, friends and neighbor. And what has this body done? Mr. Speaker, nothing. Not one thing. We have turned deaf ears. We have turned deaf ears to the blood of the innocent and the concern of our nation. We are blind to a crisis. Mr. Speaker, where is the heart of this body? Where is our soul? Where is our moral leadership? Where is our courage? Those who work on bipartisan solution are pushed aside. Those who pursue common sense improvement are beaten down. Reason is criticized. Obstruction is praised. Newtown, Grover, Charleston, Orlando. What is the tipping point? Are we blind? Can we see? How many more mothers? How many more fathers need to shed tears of grief before we do something? We were elected to lead, Mr. Speaker. We must be headlights and not lights. We cannot continue to stick our heads in the sand and ignore the reality of mass gun violence in our nation. Deadly mass shootings are becoming more and more frequent. Mr. Speaker, this is the fight. It is not an opinion. We must remove the blinders. The time for silence and patience is long gone. We're calling on the leadership of the House to bring common sense gun control legislation to the House floor. Give us a vote. Let us vote. We came here to do our job. We came here to work. The American people demand action. Do we have the courage? Do we have raw courage to make at least a down payment on ending gun violence in America? We can no longer wait. We can no longer be patient. So today we come to the well of the house to dramatize the need for action, not next month. Not next year, but now, today. Sometime you have to do something out of the ordinary. Sometimes you have to make a way out of nowhere. We have been too quiet for too long. There comes a time when you have to say something, when you have to make a little noise. When you have to move your feet, this is the time now is the time to get in the way. The time to act is now. We will be silent no more. The time for silence is over.
2: Just after Georgia Congressmember John Lewis spoke, he and other lawmakers began the historic sit-in. The Republican leadership then formally ended the session. With that, C-SPAN stopped broadcasting from the floor, their signs reading at the bottom of the screen, cameras in chambers controlled by House and House cameras are not permitted to show sit in Soon, the only way to watch the Democratic sit-in was through video streamed by the lawmakers on Periscope and Facebook. Soon, C-SPAN began airing these web streams live on the air, with those caveats on the bottom. After midnight, chaos ensued when House Speaker Paul Ryan moved to end the sit-in by having lawmakers vote on other bills. As Ryan spoke, Democratic lawmakers chanted, as they had all day, no bill, no
5: break. The chair appreciates that members will differ on matters of policy and will seek to express those differences. But the chair would hope that the business of the House could be conducted in a fashion that that respects positively on the dignity and the decorum of this institution to which we all belong.
2: House,
6: Veto message of the
2: House Speaker uh, Paul House Ryan, Ryan then announced there would be no more votes until after the July 4th holiday. We go now to Capitol Hill, where we're joined by Congressmember Barbara Lee of California, chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus Peace and Security Task Force. Congressmember Lee, welcome to Democracy Now!, I saw you throughout yesterday standing there, also the Congress members sitting on the floor, redefining the term speaking from the floor of the House. Talk about why you have taken over the chamber, the Democratic lawmakers, and what your plans are, what your demands are.
7: Sure, Amy, enough is enough. Uh, first of all, these measures are very modest uh, gun safety measures, uh, background checks. No fly, no buy. Very simple. We can't even get the Republicans to acknowledge that uh, the will of the American people, 90% of the public, want these modest measures passed. And so we decided that we had to make sure that the Republicans understood that we weren't going to take it anymore. And the murders, the uh, terrible terrorist attacks, all of the deaths that are occurring, not just recently, over and over and over again, Amy, in my district, I think almost 90 people last year were, were killed. Ninety-one people a day are killed here in America. And so it's time that we pass these modest measures. But we have to also look at the assault weapons. I mean, it's a shame and disgrace that we allow weapons of war on the streets of America to Today there's a funeral in my district of a young lady, 16 years old, who was gunned down. Four—three others were injured at a repass, at a vigil after a funeral of two young men who who drowned. I mean, this is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And Speaker Ryan really, uh, I say, ought to be ashamed of himself for shutting out the media. Uh, You know, we talk about suppression of the media in communist countries, and here Look at what has happened in terms of just trying to silence the voices of the American people. And so we're going to continue, you know, we're going to move forward. And what's important is to recognize also that the movement is really developing in this country to really begin to take on the NRA. Because the Republicans have been bought and sold by the National Rifle Association, and you know, some may want to vote with us, but for whatever reason, they feel encumbered and and beholden to the NRA. And I think last night uh, was a defining moment for us as Democrats, and hopefully the Republicans will see the light. Their constituents get killed also by uh, weapons of war.
8: Oh, but you think the government's going to attack us? Stop acting like Steven Seagal from the movies, because in real life, you are Steven Seagal in real life. Have you seen that guy run? It's horrible. What do you think is going to happen if the government attacks America? Well, the military may have invaded America, but they didn't count on one thing. Top! He may look like an out-of-shape meth-head who spends all day calling women whores on YouTube comment threads, but he has one gun and a whole bag of snacks. Take a breath, Red Dawn, and stop watching Alex Jones' videos. How many schools need to get shot to shit before you decide buying a punching bag instead of a killing machine is worth more than a child's life? yeah well i could kill a kid with a stick too what are you gonna do you're gonna ban sticks nope but now i don't trust you with a stick either you fucking weirdo
9: for some the orlando nightclub shooting has been an opportunity to uh reflect in a very shallow way on what they think about the lgbt community but for others even amongst gop uh, elected politicians it's been an opportunity for something a little bit deeper an actual change in how they view this community and you're gonna see an example of that in this video
3: I'm here because yesterday morning, 49 Americans were brutally murdered. And it made me sad. And it made me angry. And it made me confused. I'm here because those 49 people were gay. I'm here because it shouldn't matter. But I'm here because it does. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I know exactly what you are going through. I'm not here to tell you that I feel your pain. I don't pretend to know the depths of what you are feeling right now. But I do know what it feels like to be scared. And I do know what it feels like to be sad. And I do know what it feels like to be rejected. And more importantly, I know what it feels like to be loved. I grew up in a small town. I went to a small rural high school. There were some kids in my class that were different than me, and sometimes I wasn't kind to them. I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that they were gay. I regret not treating them with the kindness, dignity, and respect, the love that they deserved, for that I sincerely and humbly apologize. Over the intervening years, my heart has changed. It has changed because of you. And so may we leave today with a resolve to be a little kinder. May we try to listen more and talk less. May we forgive someone that has wronged us. And perhaps, most importantly, try to love someone that is different from us for my straight friends might i suggest starting with someone who is gay well,
9: that video was of spencer cox who's the uh, lieutenant governor of utah a republican now i don't know anything about his politics personally i have to imagine that that is a very conservative area yeah, to be an
10: elected lieutenant governor of utah is conservative I think.
9: It's I very conservative. conservative and expected to be i would imagine but that was uh assuming it was 100% genuine, which I believe it was, considering the tone of voice and the way it was delivered, um, was exactly what we would oh, want I mean, to hear. Yeah. And, and imagine a day in which every elected Republican gave a speech yeah, look, like that. You know,
10: you talk about Paul Ryan doing nothing and thoughts and prayers. This is not thoughts and prayers. That was something else. It does not. It's not legislation. I don't know what the legislation is. I mean, obviously, we're talking about some degree of gun control. But even the gun control that we're talking about is not going to... Make a gigantic dent in the number of available guns. That Certainly not, not immediately, yeah. and and it's it's so, not even gun control. It's it's controlling people who get guns. So, so. you know this is. I, I think this is incredibly important that that you know the language and the tone that people use, that politicians use, matters enormously, and it helps set the agenda. That was great. That was a mm-hmm. twelve on a one to ten. That was. I mean, the mere calling—if he, if he had a head, it would have been a thirteen. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. To do it without a head <laughs> is unbelievable. It's
9: unconfirmed that he <laughs> yeah. does in fact yeah. have a head. Um, the other—but I, would... I just let me. So just yeah. just
10: to be able to, to to call yourself out as being cruel to kids who are different in high school, which we know yeah. happens, certainly happened a ton in the '70s and '80s, and obviously before that, and still happens now. But is changing? Is literally changing? I mean, that message has been going out, and now it has to change. Uh, that's that takes some courage. And I, I don't doubt that it was genuine because there was no reason to do it unless you were going to be genuine. That's, yeah. that's what it was. So God bless Spencer Cox. That was great. That's a lesson for Republicans in Washington.
1: Failing that, if you're left with no choice other than to buy something from a place like Amazon, then at least there's a way you can do it and support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofaleft.com and shop as you normally would. Better yet, click through on the link to your country's Amazon store only once and then bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumption altogether, consuming sustainably, or at least consuming in a subversive way.
11: Much of the fallout after Orlando has fixed on political language, nowhere more than on the endless debate over whether to call such an attack an act of, quote, radical Islam. Donald Trump.
5: What happened yesterday will happen
10: many times over with a president like Obama that doesn't even want to use the term radical Islamic terrorism. He doesn't want to use the term. And Clinton won't use it either.
11: Hillary Clinton.
7: From my perspective, it matters what we do, not what we say. And to me, radical jihadism, radical Islamism, I think they mean the same thing. I'm happy to say either, but that's not the point.
11: President Obama.
1: There's no magic to the phrase radical Islam. It's a political talking point. It's not a strategy. Not once has an advisor of mine said, man, if we really use that phrase, we're going to turn this whole thing around. Not once.
11: Mark Lynch is a professor of political science and international affairs at George Washington University and author of the book, The New Arab Wars. Mark, welcome back.
5: It's great to be back.
11: Does it really matter if we say radical Islam? Does it matter if we don't?
5: It really doesn't matter all that much in terms of how we go about fighting a campaign against terrorism at the practical level. But by talking about Islam, you then don't have to talk about other kinds of issues. In a sense, what you're doing is you're feeding into this narrative of this being something about the West against Islam, this clash of civilizations, which actually does feed very much into the narrative of precisely the radical and extremist groups that we're trying to contain.
11: Okay, let's talk about the endless recurrence of the clash of civilizations, as you call it. Is there... A clash of civilizations.
5: For groups like Al-Qaeda or for the Islamic State, virtually everything they do is designed to bring one into being. And the fundamental problem these extremists have always had is that the vast majority of the Muslims of the world simply don't agree with them. You know, the vast majority of the Muslims of the world are part of a common civilization. They reject violence and reject extremism. And yet, what the terrorism is designed to do is to polarize, to drive these wedges so that these, these Muslims caught in the middle are left with no choice. They might want to coexist with the world, but the world rejects them. Terrorism is very much about trying to eliminate that middle ground and kind of force people to choose sides.
11: This time around, have you found that the president has moved a little closer to Hillary Clinton's position that this is basically just a distraction?
5: I think more interesting than whether Obama and Clinton are moving together is the really remarkable fact that polling after Orlando Seems to show that there's pretty widespread approval for the position that President Obama and Secretary Clinton are taking and a pretty overwhelming rejection of, uh, of Donald Trump's position. We've always had this sense that by pandering to the public, you would actually win support. Instead, you seem to be getting a backlash where people are listening to this and they're putting it into the context of this call for a ban on Muslim immigration, and they seem to be rejecting it.
11: You told us after last year's attacks in Paris that you felt as if the American people were in some ways regressing, that we were erasing certain gains in public discourse that it seemed that we'd made since 9-11 when President George W. Bush was visiting mosques and so on. Do you still feel that way?
5: So on the one hand, uh, this poll showing widespread rejection of Trump's position after Orlando is a very good sign, but it's just one poll. On the other side, there really has been this mainstreaming of ideas about Islam, which would have been very much on the fringe in the past and now seem to be increasingly accepted.
11: How do you know these are being mainstreamed? I know that the digital media gives ample opportunity for groups that once hid in the shadows, whether they're uh, violently inclined jihadists or white supremacists, to get together as if at the corner bar and hatch their plans. But do we know for a fact that the ideas have mainstreamed?
5: I think for many people, the Trump campaign and not just Trump, but the entire Republican primary was evidence of the mainstreaming of these ideas, where almost every candidate seemed to be endorsing many of the same ideas about Islam and about immigration and the like. That's part of it, but it's also just the move into mainstream opinion columns and general policy reports and things like that, things which uh, in the past would have seemed quite outlandish becoming quite normal. But I think that this might very well be an artifact of of election season. And one of the great hopes would be that you see the American people and the American policy community as a whole looking at this and taking a step back and realizing what a strategic disaster it would be to fall into that trap of conflating Islam with uh, these small extremist groups.
11: Let me ask you a question about another narrative, not conflating Islam with these radical groups, but conflating these radical groups with individuals who, as we've read, manage to self-radicalize. Because ISIS is actually losing ground and slowly losing in the field, they are resorting to exhorting their followers around the world to basically freelance
5: when these people go and commit these mass atrocities and they don't associate themselves with ISIS or with al-Qaeda, the media forgets about them almost immediately, almost as if it never happened. When there's this claim of association with ISIS, it becomes front-page news and dominates the political landscape for weeks. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that there aren't any links. In other words, both of those things can be true.
11: You said... At the beginning of this conversation that we should avoid the phrase radical Islam, not as a matter of political correctness, but because that is precisely the narrative of ISIS and Al Qaeda, who are intentionally trying to eliminate what you call the gray zones of tolerance, where essentially we can all get along. What do we call it, if not radical Islam?
5: You know, a better phrase is one that uh, the Obama administration has been using for quite some time. I mean, these are violent extremists, very much outside of the mainstream, using violence, promote their message, and focusing on their violence and their extremism makes a lot more sense than trying to force this into an association with Islam, which has all of these negative repercussions. So, frankly, I would simply call this violent extremism, because that's what it is.
12: Dianne Feinstein um, wants to put an amendment forward that would um, enable the attorney general to deny someone access to a firearm on the basis of an attorney general's uh, declaration that somebody is or may be a terrorist. And I just got to be totally honest with you. This is not, you know, I don't do this for my job. This is not the ACLU's position. But me personally, I don't care if the government tells people they can't have guns. I don't like guns. Um, but that's not the issue. The issue is due process. And we've seen this with the no-fly lists and the terror watch lists. I'm sure you've heard a million times, well, if you can't get on a plane, why can you buy a gun? Well, the reason for that is because the NRA has been more effective than the ACLU, quite frankly, in its congressional advocacy in this area. Um, I'm ashamed to say, but that's the truth. <laughs> and both of those processes are unconstitutional. The U.S. government should not be able to deny someone the right to travel on the basis of the determinations, the processes, and, and the determinations that are used in um, assigning somebody a risk score um, and deciding whether or not they can fly. These, you know, just look up reporting that The Intercept has done, look up the work that my colleague at the ACLU, Hina Shamsi, has done, lawsuits finding that, you know, the process by which people are nominated for these lists is totally ridiculous and haphazard and um, There's no real evidence that's required at all to put someone on a list like this. So the question for me is not should people get guns? The question is, should we allow Congress in the wake of this attack to further weaken due process protections and even more scarily make it easier than ever before for the attorney general to legally designate someone a terrorist based on reasonable suspicion of their involvement in terrorism and, and I think the answer to that has to be no because if we do allow that sort of denigration of due process to occur it's going to pop up in cases that have nothing to do with guns and have everything to do with basic human and civil rights.
7: Children run, come to human rights. That's what we're about you don't know the human children, run, come to human rights, that's what we're about, that they should know.
4: To lyrics, yeah. well, some human
13: okay, so I wanted to talk about this because there's a couple aspects of the story that a lot of liberals are conveniently ignoring, um, and there's a lot of...
8: Citizen radio makes things more complicated.
13: Well, there's also a lot of really um, disingenuous stuff that's happening right now, like Elizabeth Warren... And Chris Murphy saying that the GOP wants terrorists to have guns and like really intellectually disingenuous talking points because that's not what happened. Here's what happened. But aren't
8: those the talking points that like work in this dumb country?
13: Well, that's if you think it's morally correct to use a talking point that's a lie in order to win.
8: At this point? (laughs) Kind of. But
13: it's not true, and it's dangerous, and here's why. Um So the Republicans, what they were saying when they were discussing this measure was, if you are going to say that anybody on the terrorist watch list can't own a gun, we need to talk about who is on the terrorist watch list. What Republicans said that? Well, this is what they said. Oh, okay. Because some people end up on that list who are not terrorists, right, who don't we, belong We've there, been talking
8: about how dumb the list is for years. The list is years, so stupid.
13: They wanted to expand the checks on the terrorist watch list. So if you want to do that. This,
8: by the way, is the only time Republicans have cared about making sure the terrorist watch list is accurate.
13: Well, no, it's a lot of libertarian-ish you know, representatives too, saying, well, this is impeding on people's civil liberties. So we got to get this thing under oh, control. Fuck them.
8: Those are the same people who voted for like the Patriot Act. And like, they don't give
13: a shit. Yeah. 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 But it's like, you know, if you want to do this, there is a huge problem with the terrorist watch list. And it's not constitutional to right. say everybody who gets on this really big, ambiguous list,
8: racist,
13: racist, the xenophobic, you know, all the, sorry, bad- everybody isms.
8: named Mohammed.
13: Um so that was the point of contention, and the Democrats were like, No, we're not doing that. Right. So therefore it fails. That's not just on the Republicans. That's also on the Democrats who have fully embraced the terrorist watch list. Right,
8: right, right. That's a good way to put it. So
13: I just wanted to make that point, and it's also really disingenuous to say because some representatives <laughs> like disagreed on that point, they want to arm ISIS. Yeah,
8: I'd say that. I'm down with that. I agree.
13: Which is also like a huge problem, right? Like we saw after the Orlando shooting, the government is really quick to try to link anything to ISIS. Yeah,
8: I would still here I so I obviously agree with you. I would say if you're arguing and making headway with your family, you don't have to say Republicans wanna arm terrorists. But I think it is a really important talking point without having to like, because they don't give a shit, without like Republicans, without having to preface about like how problematic the watch list is. I do think it's important to be like, hey, gun advocates are so insane that they are okay with people suspected terrorists. See, I think there are
13: other things Democrats could hit the Republicans on that are intellectually, you know, genuine. Um, Like, why does a civilian need an AR 15? Why do you need a weapon of but war? They don't give a shit about
8: that. They go because no, no, it's actually, my right to own guns.
13: That that's one of the ones along with the universal background check that do poll well, including yeah. with at within the NRA. And stuff like limits on how many magazines you can buy. There are like reasonable policies that if you break it down, but here's the problem with gun control in general in this country. Liberals love to cite that 90% in agreement of universal background checks. Yeah. But in a lot of polls, once you start breaking that down more and more and you get to the essence of the question, should the government regulate arms? And like still a majority of Americans, I think like 55 percent of Americans say no. So we're it's not this overwhelming consensus that I think a lot of liberals like to present it as. Um, just because they're, it's part of our DNA as a country, right, to be suspicious of the government and, and want to defend Murder ourselves people. from the government. For for historical reasons, like you know, the government has done a lot of fucked up things, and I understand why a lot of people wouldn't trust them. Yeah, but no one has,
8: no one uses these guns to defend themselves from the government. Yeah, they use it to like shoot Trayvon Martin,
13: right? So that's the thing. There's the what people say are their principles, and what in actuality is the reason they're buying the guns, and a lot of what. The real motives are is I think they're cool and I like to shoot the guns and I feel like a badass when I have a gun. Like, that's really what it is. But then when they're defending it in public, they're like, well, we also have the Second Amendment. Well, the British. It's this tradition. And yeah, the British used to just walk into your home whenever they wanted. They might take my tea. (laughs) Right. But I, I think sometimes, like, especially with all these mass shootings happening, Republicans... I don't want to say they're pretending to be more open-minded in public when they're like, oh, yeah, well, of course, universal background checks. But then in private and like when they go to vote or like, oh, no, but I want to I'm i keeping my gun like you're not going to take my gun from me. Um, so it's just more complicated than I think it's being presented as.
1: Trust me, no one gets into political podcasting for the money, and yet that's just what it takes to really do it right and to do it consistently. Each edition of Best of Left you hear is the result of about 25 hours of work and at least some cursing. We absolutely depend on listeners to be willing to chip in a few bucks each month to keep us going. For members of the show who sign up with a monthly contribution, there is bonus content that I do once a week, usually 20 to 30 minutes of an extended commentary about this or that. For example, recently I was asked to talk to some student activist about the nature of the corporate media and its effects on society, so I recorded my answers to their questions, and since I avoided sounding too foolish, I, I made that available to members. And also, recently, I received a voicemail from our resident conservative Wade explaining why someone like him, who's not entirely off the deep end, would support someone like Trump, so I played that for the members and gave my thoughts on it as well. If you'd like to help support the production of this show and gain access to these extended conversations, then just head over to the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com, choose your level of support, and then get that warm, fuzzy feeling knowing you're helping to keep our little independent show going strong. Thanks so much for the sport
2: well so we we've talked about a lot of the we've talked about reactions all over the board shall we show uh, Barbara
0: her Her, uh, her. H-E-R-R. Yeah. Uh, this was at a rally uh, called Bronx for Orlando. So she's surrounded by politicians. You can watch how uncomfortable they are when she lets loose with this message, which is something she found on the Internet written by someone else. And uh, do you have the name of the uh, author?
2: Bree Medifax Bader. Yes.
0: And uh, listen to this.
2: This is strong stuff.
0: Our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts go out to the victims and the families and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to read something for you that I did not write. But um, it was posted on my wall and I think it is exactly what most of us are feeling and thinking uh, with this. And I'm going to curb some of the words because it is a little, a little strong. So I say to all those politicians with their thoughts and prayers, screw your thoughts. Screw your thoughts and prayers. We don't need them. I certainly don't want them. You cannot elevate people like Kim Davis and Ted Cruz and Huckabee and Ann Coulter and Donald Trump. And then as a country, turn around and pretend that it's Islam that caused this. We have been beaten to death with fists and boots and bottles and bats and lead pipes. We have been shot and stabbed and mutilated. We have been raped to death and then we have been raped again just for the fun of it. We have been trapped and burned alive, and families are too ashamed to claim our corpses. Churches refusing us a decent burial. We have been strangled and stuffed under motel mattresses. We have been hung from barbed wire fences and left alone to die slowly. America, you have done all of this to us while calling us the predators. How dare you? America, your politicians have fractured our bones under the heels of their shoes, and their footprints have tracked our blood all the way to the airport bathrooms and clandestine hotel rooms where they seek pleasurable release from people like me. How dare you, America, use our suffering and our corpses as a shield to attack 1.6 billion people? How dare you pretend that suddenly, just today... You care for our safety while you do nothing about the reckless greed of gun manufacturers. Do nothing about the people in power who mock us and encourage fear of us. How dare you, America, try to use the fear that I live with every single day of my life. Every threat, every attack, every slur that has been screamed at me. Every bit of rage hurled at me by men who wanted my number in a gay bar or men who courted me to demand to know how I or my boyfriend's taste. Every bit of shame from the pulpit on Sundays in church. Every time I had to hear, as Dobson said, my queerness should be beaten out of me. Every time I gripped my own hand a little bit tighter to walk past the protesters outside of a gay pride rally. How dare you try to, to take this fear that you have installed in me and redirected towards your war? How dare you? America, you have been at war with me since before I was born. I am not your scapegoat. You are not actually angry on my behalf. And you do not get to twist my anguish to fuel yet more hatred and yet more death. So take your thoughts and take your prayers and turn them towards yourself, because they won't help me, but maybe, perhaps, they'll help you realize that we've been dying all this time and you never gave a before. Thank you. That's exactly. Exactly.
2: Yesterday, New York Congressmember Nita Lowy, um, uh, who proposed an amendment to a Homeland Security Appropriation Bill that was voted down by every Republican member um, of the committee. According to Congressmember Lowy, the amendment would have given the attorney general the authority to block the sale of firearms to known or suspected terrorists if the attorney general has a reasonable belief that the firearm would be used in connection with terrorism. No fly, no buy. Um, Explain exactly what this is. Um, We also have with us Vince Warren of the Center for Constitutional Rights, deeply concerned about the civil liberties aspects and the flawed nature of uh, this kind of um, gun control measure.
7: Yes, I'm on the Appropriations Committee, and this was not the first time we tried to it put an amendment up for reasonable gun safety gun control measures and it of course it failed because the re- republicans for the most part uh, all of them voted against it look if are flaws with the uh, no-fly uh, list believe you me as one who cares about our civil liberties we must fix that I know the ACLU and others have proposed uh, legislation to fix it, but guess what? The Republicans won't even let that legislation come forward, so come on. We've got to start somewhere, and believe you me, this is a first start, and we have to understand that we've got to fix any issues that that would relate to civil liberties, and that is, in fact, what we have been trying to do, but we must get... Uh, We must make sure that those who do not, uh, should not have guns, are not able to buy guns. And for the most part, those who are on a watch list should not be able to buy a gun and, and kill people.
2: Vince Warren of the Center for Constitutional Rights, your response? Well, first
14: of all, I really appreciate all of the action that's happening at the uh, at, at Congress and particularly uh, the Senate. That's exactly what's needed, and I absolutely applaud that. What we have to be careful about, though, is pitting two different sets of constitutional rights against each other. And essentially, we have um, a Republican version of constitutional rights that have to do with um, gun control, which... Uh, we at the Center for Constitutional Rights and other groups uh, think is not an absolute right the way the Republicans do. Uh, and then you have, on the other hand, you have the rights that all of us have with respect to not being on these type of watch lists inappropriately or in error, which happens all of the time. And the big challenge, frankly, that we're seeing from the Democrats is that they're looking at those two sets of constitutional rights and they're deciding, well, gosh, these Republicans are really being difficult and this is hard. What's the compromise? And what they're essentially doing is that they're compromising a fake concept of constitutional rights and gun control. Um, and they're keeping that strong. And they're watering down um, on an already bad system, which we have, which is the no-fly list. People don't know how they get on the no-fly list. Once you're on the no-fly list, you don't know how to get off. So if you're using no-fly list as a proxy for dangerousness, as that a way to tell that somebody's going to be dangerous, um, you're it's not going to work. And we're essentially— um, solidifying um, the Republican position against gun control by watering down our constitutional rights to stay free from uh, from these type of invasions.
2: Congress Member Lee, it's very interesting that it's the Republicans that are raising this issue that Vince Warren of CCR just raised.
7: Sure, very few Republicans have ever been concerned about civil liberties since I have been here. And let me tell you, Amy, I remember the days of COINTELPRO very well. Uh, I voted against the Patriot Act, I voted against all of the FISA authorizations, and if there are problems, which there are, I think, with the watch list, we need to take up those proposals that have been put forward that the Republicans will not let us take up to fix it. Having said that, we've got to start somewhere, somewhere and we've got to make sure that those watch lists are accurate, and we've got to make sure that those people who belong on there belong on there actually, and we have to make sure they don't get their hands on guns.
2: Congressmember Lee, you know, when your colleague in the Senate, uh, Senator Christopher Murphy of Connecticut, uh, of course, representing Sandy Hook, also engaged in an historic filibuster, I think was the ninth longest, 15 hours in the Senate. The agreement was simply to get a vote, and then all the amendment, all the the proposals that were um, taken up were voted down, Republican and Democrat. Um, But in both cases, both in what you're calling for in the House and what um, he was calling for in the Senate, there hasn't been a straight up demand for an assault weapons ban. Why not?
7: We have to do that. There's the bill, the Safe Communities Act, that part of that bill. Uh, by uh, Congressman Thompson has a provision for banning assault weapons. Amy, let me tell you one thing. We have a strong assault weapon ban in California. We have to have a national policy because guns are transported across states all of the time and they end up in my community even in California with the assault weapon ban. Also, we need to have, restri- have to uh, amend or repeal the T-Hart Amendment which I try to do every year and that's a restriction on gun tracing. There are many, many Aspects of this that are very complicated, but we have to start somewhere. These assault weapons—I mean, 900 rounds. What does anyone need an assault weapon to to protect themselves or to um, make to ensure that they? Uh, Are protected by their Second Amendment rights. You know, no one wants to take away anyone's right to hunt or to protect themselves, but assault weapons, weapons of war, weapons of mass destruction do not belong in the hands of anyone, quite frankly, in this country.
2: So, your plans now?
7: Well, we're going to keep going. We're going to, this is the first chapter uh, of our protest and our insistence that we bring these uh, bills up. We have a strategy. We're going to work on moving forward. And I think what's important now is this movement that's developing. We're going to continue to work with organizations and people around the country to make sure that we put the heat on those Republicans and on the Speaker to bring these bills up. It's going to require us to do many, many things. It's going to be direct action. It's going to be organizing with our constituents. It's going to be legislative actions. And so it's going to be comprehensive. It's going to be very aggressive.
15: 'Cause it's time you
3: realize that this is the time. This is the time for
8: action. This is the, the time to be seen This, this is the time for
3: action.
16: So recently, obviously, we had the shooting in Orlando uh, by Omar Mateen. Uh, He is a Muslim American. um, And uh, as soon as it happened, since he's Muslim, everybody just jumped in and said, obviously, it's uh, related to uh, Islamic terrorism. And look, it's a a fair conclusion, especially fair given that he called in and said he was doing it for uh, for ISIS. But then federal investigators said they they tracked it and he had really none of the uh, telltale things that they look out for from a person who's been radicalized. He had no contact, as far as they could tell for the moment being, from the evidence that we have with ISIS or any other terrorist group. He, he had not been taking any of the steps to become more religious, etc. Then we found out that he actually had gone to that same nightclub dozens of times. And then we found out he had a, a, a dating app for gay Americans on his cell phone that he had used many times. So that led me to, at the time, what was a controversial um, decision, which is that maybe he was gay and maybe that had something to do with shooting up a gay nightclub. Here's uh, the, the post that I did on, on Facebook originally last week, so let's watch that first. Now obvious that he had some same sex attraction, uh, unquestionably. Uh, he went to The Pulse, the nightclub that he shot up dozens of times. He had a, a gay dating app on his website, on his phone. There's no question that he was either gay, bisexual, or, or certainly wanted to act upon that. It's self-loathing. It's the most obvious self-loathing of all time. But it all comes from self-loathing. The guy says at the end, oh yeah, I'm with ISIS. ISIS didn't plan this out. This is, this is another madman in America uh mad at the world the guy the kid in Santa Barbara was mad at women because they couldn't have sex with them uh everybody's mad at something. His dad told him how great he was, and it turns out he 's not great at all. He told him how straight he 's supposed to be. It turns out he 's not that straight and he can't take it anymore and it's that self loathing that drove him to do this. so how about we don't get people to hate themselves we don 't get them to hate others okay well, so it turns out now uh A lover of uh, Mateen has come forward who is a male. Uh, His name is Miguel. Uh, He talked to Univision. They're going to air that on Friday night at 10 p.m. But uh, excerpts of it have been released. And Miguel says that they had a two-month-long relationship. They were friends with benefits. uh, And that in his time with him, uh, Mateen was affectionate and sweet and liked to cuddle, uh, other than the sexual relations that they clearly had as well. So now we know, yes, he was at least bisexual. And uh, he had, they had met on that gay dating app. And then uh, they asked Miguel, and he's disguised. He doesn't want to come out, out for obvious reasons uh, as the person who slept with this, the worst mass shooter in American history. Uh, and he says, oh, no, no. He, he, he definitely liked uh, men. He liked Latin men in particular. And unfortunately, he had self-loathing because of what his dad taught him. So let me give you some of his direct quotes. The thing that makes me want to tell the truth, Miguel says, is that he didn't do it for terrorism. In my opinion, he did it for revenge. So he goes on to explain um, that Mateen spoke of frustration over his father's views that gay people are the devil and gay people have to die. This is almost exactly what I said. I said, his father put these crazy thoughts in his head. And yes, by the way, that does come from religion. So in Islam, in Christianity, your man shall not lie with a man. Now, there was, there's been several pastors that have come out in the last week saying, oh, he should have finished the job. And the ones that are in the hospital, I hope they die. Those are Christian pastors. So now they didn't do the shooting, but it's, it's the same three books, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Quran. The Quran believes that it is the third chapter of those of those books. And they write similar things. But being gay is wrong, wrong, wrong. It's the devil's work. And you indoctrinate a kid with that and you put it in his head. And if he's gay, he hates himself. He can't help but be gay and date Miguel and cuddle with him. But he hates it because his dad brainwashed him. So it isn't about ISIS. It is, you know, it depends on your definition of terrorism, whether you want to call it that or not. That's not the point for me. The point is, why did he actually do it? It's the self loathing that drove him to do it. So, again, like I said in that video, maybe the answer is, don't teach your kids that being gay is wrong, and if they're, if they're gay, they're evil, or they're in league with the devil, or they're going to hell, or that they're just, they're sinners. Oh, I mean, I love you, I love the sinner, but I hate your sin. Don't say that, because it leads to things like this. Miguel has more. He says, Matina was, quote, terrified of being HIV positive, and felt rage toward Puerto Rican gay men, possibly because of a sexual incident. Mateen had sex with two Puerto Rican men, and one later said he was HIV positive. Now he goes on to explain that more, and in the full interview, we'll get more of the context. But obviously, Mateen had sex with many different men. One of them turns out to be HIV. Mateen did not test positive for HIV, but thought it might come. You know that you couldn't really know for sure for four or five months, and he was terrified of what he might have. Then his self-loathing kicked in about his dad, and he's like, oh, my God, I, that pushed him over the edge. My dad was right. Look at what happened. I knew these gay people were wrong, and I'm going to go out and, and get revenge as Miguel. Those are the direct words of Miguel, his lover, saying he wanted revenge. He Miguel goes on to say he adored Latinos, gay Latinos, with brown skin, but he felt rejected. He felt used by them. There are moments in the Pulse nightclub that made him feel really bad, Guys used them that really affected him. Does does this sound like uh, a guy who's been radicalized and with religious fervor decided to shoot his lovers? Now, by the way, it partly does because all religious fundamentalists are hypocrites. And and so the Taliban has young boys as lovers. So does the Catholic Church. All the people telling you don't be gay are the ones that are first to have young uh, gay lovers, right? So I, I get that hypocrisy. But no, this isn't about, oh, my God, I studied the Quran and it turns out I should be fighting the West because of this, and they're in our lands, and da 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 It wasn't about being in their lands. It was about being in his bed. Finally, Miguel says, when I asked him what he was going to do now, his answer was, I'm going to make them pay for what they did to me. This wasn't about international politics or a particular ideology related to a religion. Yes, it affected it, as I've said over and over. But the heart of the issue, the core of the issue was personal. He's gay. He couldn't stand uh, that, that he'd been taught that it was wrong. And, and so he grabbed automatic weapons as usual and went in there and butchered the people that he thought were responsible. So it doesn't make the act any more, or it doesn't make it any less heinous. Uh, it doesn't make it the pain that those people felt any better. But we have to know what really caused events so that we can take proper action. We don't want to go in blind. And so if you wanted to go after the people who did this, well what, does it make sense to go after afghanistan where his dad is from if you for example bomb them how in the world would that affect this kid in america who grew up in america and who was gay etc now if you went after the culture and said like i do don't hate gay people that might actually help right but what are you going to do go after closeted gay people who have self-loathing in america are we going to bomb them so let's please be rational Find out what the real source of the problem is so that we can begin to fix it.
1: We just heard clips featuring Democracy Now! introducing the Democratic sit-in in the House of Representatives demanding a vote on gun legislation. The Young Turks discussed the Republican Lieutenant Governor of Utah, who had a change of heart about the LGBTQ community after the Orlando massacre. On the Media discussed why it doesn't help to attempt to link acts of violence to Islam. One of the hosts of Humorless Queers, who is also an ACLU lawyer, explained why using the extremely problematic terror watch list is not a progressive way to pursue the admirable goal of restricting dangerous gun sales. Citizen Radio followed that theme and broke down the disingenuous arguments on both sides that caused the recent votes to fail. Gay USA highlighted a video responding to the entirely useless offerings of thoughts and prayers after the Orlando shooting. Democracy Now! hosted a discussion about the possibly dangerous precedent set by tying gun purchases to the terror watch list. And finally, the Young Turks discussed the possibility that the Orlando shooting had been caused by a complicated mix of self hatred stoked by conservative anti gay rhetoric that spans religions rather than being confined to just one, as many Republicans would like you to believe. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now we'll hear from you.
15: Hey, Jay, it's Adriana from Long Beach, California. And I want to thank you for the excellent show that you did on the Orlando shootings. Every single segment was incredibly insightful. I wanted to respond to that show by asking a question that hasn't yet been asked Regarding the Pulse, uh, can we just talk a moment about the idea of a business that makes its money selling liquor being called a sanctuary for an oppressed group? Cigarette use, binge drinking, and straight up alcoholism are overrepresented in two groups black people and gay men. The black beauty salon and the black barbershop are businesses too. But I believe grooming is just a part of life in a civilized society, so I'm not conflicted about black people calling a business that offers grooming services, rather elaborate grooming services in the case of the beauty shop, but still a sanctuary. They were going to have to get their hair cut somewhere. Why not at a place where they can hang out with their own people? Plus, relaxers are only called creamy crack. They're not actually addictive. But alcohol is a legal addictive. And to call an establishment that makes more money the more people drink a sanctuary personally rubs me the wrong way. I'm especially rubbed the wrong way when the population the liquor establishment serves is known to have higher levels of the kind of psychic pain that leads to substance abuse. I am a progressive Christian who is always bragging on her liberal church. Yes, I wish there were fewer butts on the dance floor at the Silver Fox on Saturday night and more butts in the pews at gay churches on Sunday morning. I do not apologize for that sentiment, but I'm not against celebratory drinking. I'm not against weed. I'm not against hedonistic sex. I'm just uncomfortable with calling a gay bar a sanctuary. I do not want gay high schoolers hearing that and associating binge drinking or drinking at all with coming out as their authentic selves. I level a similar criticism at the number of liquor stores that um, set up in black neighborhoods. I live in Long Beach, California, where there is a thriving LGBT center that partners with city governments on events. I understand not every town has a center, but Orlando is not a town. It's a huge city. I actually don't have an answer for this dilemma. I just know blacks and gays as populations need to smoke and drink less. And I do not like bars, which make their money. Make more money the more people drink, being called Places of Sanctuary. I don't know what to do about it, but I just don't like it.
17: Hey, Jay, it's Wade. After listening to the, uh, the last show and reading numerous stories about it, reading the comments on it, and I, have to, I have to say, I, I really don't understand what is so complicated about well about sex and rape I don't don't get it if someone doesn't consent or they're unable to consent that is rape and there's no mitigating circumstances to that I don't want to hear about how drunk you were I don't want to hear about how you couldn't control your urges if you can't control your urges I don't trust you and you probably shouldn't be in society there's no mitigating factors here there are many crimes out there that have you know, mitigating circumstances to them. Not rape. This is not complicated. I cannot for the life of me understand why people make this complicated. I'm not trying to be vulgar. But I've had sex with quite a few people. I've never once had an issue with consent. Sex isn't all that complicated, at least the consent part's not. We've all had sex. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what is the big deal here? I and mean, for those that say that you know she was passed out, you, you know, therefore there's no trauma, or you can't unrape the victim by punishing this guy. That's not what it's about. It's about accountability. That, that's what it always boils down to. That's why there's so much outrage when cops and politicians get away with crap. No accountability. Okay. When there's no accountability, the victim feels worthless. She has to be accountable for what happened to her because of the way she's going to feel for the rest of her life. She, she has no choice for the accountability. But when this guy gets away with it, or a slap on the wrist, I should say, it makes her feel, I don't, you know what I shouldn't say, I shouldn't speak for her because I don't know, but if it would make me feel that I was worthless even more. I mean, you think of all the indignities she suffered, the kidney raped, and then the part of her letter that got to me the most was when she wakes up and like has tie needles still in her hair, like nobody can clean the goddamn tie needles out of her hair while she's in the hospital, I don't know, it's just, a further indignity, I, I felt, and then you go to court, you go through all this process, the process that the system says you should go through. You know, this is how you, this is how you, this is how you handle an injustice, a wrong, and then she gets wronged again by, by it. In fact, all of society gets wronged by it. So that's what it's about. It's not about unraping the victim. It's about making her feel worthwhile, making her feel that she has value. And that's the way I view it. Again, sex isn't complicated. Rape isn't complicated. And neither is punishment. You have to punish people when they commit a violent crime. And and rape, I will always consider a violent crime no matter how gentle it is. I don't think... In fact, that's an oxymoron. It can't be gentle. So, any type of violent crime, you violate somebody like that violently there's just no mitigating factor to me and we need some goddamn accountability and it's another example of the justice system not not delivering it to the masses and that's the way i view this story anyway jay my thoughts on it have a good one
6: hi jay this is aaron from philly I'm not sure if my experience entirely counts as far as the discussion of toxic masculinity goes, but I figured I'd throw it in there anyway as an interesting data point about the state of American masculinity, at least as it was constructed 20 or so years ago. This was right around the time that I was starting college, and also right around the time that I was figuring out that transition was something that I wanted to do, and Being that I was a college student and my insurance didn't cover any other avenues of seeking out counseling, therapy, and so on, I went to the counseling center at my college. Now, this was staffed by, you know, professionals, people with, you know, full counseling degrees who also happen to be on the faculty at the school. So I figured I should be in decent shape. But after one or two sessions... With the counselor that I was assigned to, he came out and asked me if the reason I felt like I wanted to transition was because I didn't feel like I could cut it as a man. Well, needless to say, I ended the appointment early at that point, and I never went to saw that particular counselor again. But, as I said, I think it's an interesting data point as far as construction of masculinity where the idea of the, the primacy of masculinity and of being male was so ingrained in this guy's mind that rather than see me for the person I was sitting in front of him and presenting my situation, he assumed that, well, the only reason someone would want to be a woman is because they can't cut it as a guy. I mean, that's, it's absurd to even say it, but there it is. Um, I don't know necessarily what that, um, adds to the picture, but like I said, I thought it was an interesting data point and, you know, I hope it gives people something to think about. Have a great day and, you know, stay awesome as usual.
11: Recently, I had to tell my mom. Explain my new, strange, terrified angry self a drastic change in my personality I had to tell her that I was raped she doesn't believe me because he was a friend she doesn't believe me because there was no punching or choking she doesn't believe me because he is too good looking she doesn't believe me Because rape culture and toxic masculinity are so prevalent in our society that a second-wave feminist who spent most of her youth campaigning and marching for women's rights doesn't believe her own daughter could have been raped.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped get clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. First of all, the sad news today that we did not win a podcast award. Huge thanks to everyone who took the time to nominate and vote us anyways. I I could not be more appreciative. Uh, no hard feelings about not winning, but I will tell you, although I don't have all the details, I didn't follow it super closely, there was a little bit of a scandal at the Podcast Awards this year. For for maybe the first time like this that, that I've known about, there was a suspicion for a while that a lot of the shows that won did something that wasn't exactly cheating, but wasn't exactly not cheating, And, you know, they they didn't have like a computer run and put in a bunch of votes and or anything like that. But it was it was just a little bit of a uh, they used, you know, a method to get a lot of people to vote for this slate of shows. And anyways, the the bottom line is that I think the guy who runs the podcast awards, his basic takeaway was, okay, fine, you win this time but I really don't like what you did, and it's uh, very much against the spirit of the podcast awards. So maybe not exactly cheating, but not exactly cool either. That's sort of basically what happened, and like I said, no hard feelings. Secondly today, I just wanted to say a few words in praise of things being complicated, and and this Orlando shooting is, is the perfect example of this, because for a long time people were arguing about you know is this uh, shooting the result of his terrible religious beliefs or is it his hatred of gay people or is it you know toxic masculinity and and you know he has a history of hating women and and you know being angry about all kinds of things and he has a history of domestic violence or was it because he had you know easy access to large guns because of our laws in America And obviously, the answer is yes. (laughs) That is the answer to which of those things caused this shooting. All of them clearly combined in a very complicated mix of ways to do that. And, you know, on an unrelated topic, uh, this crossed my radar recently, and it's just sort of similar. Uh, You know, some people like to argue that racism and sexism aren't the real problem. You know, the real problem is classism. Okay, I I don't know why this is not obvious to anyone who spends more than, like, three and a half seconds considering the issue. The answer couldn't be more obvious. It's both. Why do we have to argue over which incredibly simplified down to the point of being worthless uh, side of the argument? Why do we have to try to simplify things like that? Things are just complicated. And it can be okay for one thing to have multiple causes. No big deal, you know? Our brains are lazy. They like to break down things into their simplest, most digestible parts. So can we just ever, once in a while, take some time and remind ourselves that things just are complicated? Whether we want them to be or not, whether we want to be able to simplify them, they just are actually complicated. And if we ever want to have any kind of a real understanding of how shit works— We're just going to have to be okay with that. Personally, I think that the world is a more interesting place to be thanks to all these complications, uh, but that's just me. Keep the comments coming in. The number again 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we put out there. And for details on the show itself, including
6: stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our own sad stories and wonder what we're doing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget who it is we're.